Amen, amen. Let's, let's come around the word this morning. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask and pray now that you would cause and release your presence and anointing on this word and myself as we open up your word. Would you pray this prayer, church? You know it well. Lord, anoint my ears to hear. Anoint my eyes to see. Anoint my heart to receive. I declare today that change will take place in my life. Change will take place in my life. It would have been about seven years after I became a Christian. I became a Christian in 1981. And uh, <clears throat> I went to a youth camp. I went to a youth camp as an alcoholic, still drunk from the night before. I got home four o'clock in the morning. But God had a mission for that weekend, and I got powerfully saved. And so seven years later, <clears throat> I've been walking as a Christian. And every now and then someone would come up and say, tell me your story. And I would say, uh, well, I was in the police force, and I was an alcoholic. And then I went away one weekend to a camp, a Christian camp, and there was a guy preaching just like today. And the message touched my heart powerfully. And I knew, I knew, I knew, out of all the people here, God was speaking to me. And I believe that'll happen today. Doesn't matter how many people are here. I know the Holy Spirit will take this message and just speak directly to you. But this year, seven years later, was different. I'm telling the story and halfway through the story about me being a policeman and being an alcoholic, the person stopped me and just said, whoa, were you a policeman? And I said, yeah, no way. At that moment, my heart leapt. Why? Because every year after I became a Christian, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, when I would meet people, I didn't even have to say anything and they would say, were you ever a policeman? Indicating I was still carrying stuff in my life, character, little idiosyncrasies, that it came out in my the way I carried myself, even my work at AGC when I was doing leadership assessments for promotion, we'd have to sit for them and they'd interview me after and say, you're great with leadership, you're doing this well, you're doing this well, but please watch this one area. You too much of an authoritarian coming from my police force days. And it always would take me back. And so when that happened on that year seven, and this person said, are you, you were a policeman? That brought joy to my heart for one reason. Change 
was taking place in my life, that I was no longer the same. And this morning for a few minutes, I want to talk about the honor series, God honors change in our life. Say God honors change in our life. Thank you, Izzy. You can take your seat. Change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Jesus has become a new person. Say become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. The moment you put your hand up and become a Christian, the moment you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts straight away working in your life with one mission to make you more like Jesus. The message translation says, the old life is gone, a new life is emerging. What parts of my old life is it referring to? It's my old speech, the way I used to talk when I became a Christian. And uh, I could tell a good off-color joke as anyone else coming from the police force. But the moment I became a Christian, something changed within me. And I'd go to work and I was working in the railway. I resigned from the police force. And straight away, these guys would be saying, hey, did you hear the joke about the... And I would just, oh, I would cringe. Something in me, no, let me correct that. Someone in me was saying, no, that life is over. Move away from that. And I couldn't engage in those jokes anymore. I couldn't engage in language anymore, filthy language. I I just couldn't because someone in me was saying, Mark, that is no longer a part of your life. So those changes were taking place. My old thoughts were changing. My old hurts were changing habits, and hang-ups. And God honors change. If you're still the same today as you were 10 years ago, it's not God hasn't moved. Something's not shifted in you because God wants to see you keep changing. Years ago, I wrote out this acronym for change, C-H-A-N-G-E. Change is challenges that will hurt and aggravate but it's needed for growth and empowerment. No one likes change. No one likes change. All of a sudden, if you've been working at your job, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then your boss says, next week I want you to start working at 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., oh, that change hurts. I've got to change my lifestyle. I've got to get up when it's still dark. But change, it will challenge you. It It can hurt you at times, aggravate Some of our crew here have been practicing for half marathons and all of that. To change, it requires pain, but it's needed for growth and empowerment. The Holy Spirit is on a mission in your life and my life, and that is to bring change, and He won't stop. He will aid you, assist you, encourage you, rebuke you, instruct you, lead you, guide you, all for one mission, to become like Jesus. When people connect with you at work, do they see Jesus? Do they see the way you talk? Do they see the way you walk? Do they see Christ reflected in you? This is what I want to talk about today. After I got saved, 
Alcohol went straight away. That was so good. I was a very, very heavy drinker. I couldn't drink beer anymore because beer did nothing. So I shifted to spirits. I drank rum and then I drank other stuff. That didn't work. Then I shifted to mixing it with all these other concoctions to try and get that original hit that I had all those years before. Not realizing it was affecting my body and uh, some little parts began to break down in my body. So when Jesus set me free from alcohol, that was so good. Then he began to work on my language. Then he began to work on my lifestyle. But I still found there was some parts of me, and this was, the, this was the frustrating part. There was still some parts of me I wanted to see change, but it was not happening. Some of my old past hurts where I got hurt as a child. Some of my old past hang-ups I had attitude issues and I had opinions about everything. No one wanted to hear them, but I wanted to share them. I had all these things and I wanted to see change and I tried my hardest. I tried self-discipline. I tried reading books, but it still frustrated me. And this is what I want to share this morning because I believe right across here, every one of us carries past hurts, past hang-ups and some unhealthy habits. We just want to be release from and that's what I want to speak about this morning about how do we do that and how do we deal with change why is it so hard to change pastor Mark to get a breakthrough well I want to see come with me to 2 Corinthians 3 18 first Paul says it's a process as God's spirit works within us We're being transformed, say being. We're being transformed to become more and more like Jesus. And this change from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord. I like this because the Apostle Paul is encouraging Mark today. Change is a process. It's going to be a daily process. It's going to be a weekly process. And change, and they said, one degree of glory. I see that little incremental shift. If I'm moving forward one little bit, I'm still being changed. I'm still being assisted by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying, listen, change is a process. It's incremental. It's not instant. Some of us want to see an instant change, but if we work towards it, you can't go running four kilometers around Mawson Lakes, then sign up next week and say, I'm going to do a marathon. No, no, no. Well, well, you can do the marathon, but it might take you a week. But uh, it just won't happen. You've got to build towards it. You do 7K, you do 10K, you do 12K. Change happens. The message translation says this, our lives gradually become brighter and brighter tell the person beside you be encouraged you're changing and looking better why some of the battles some of the changes I want to see in my life just take so long and they're a battle why are some of them so severe well a couple of things number one some of our hurts and hang-ups and habits have been with us a long time I remember talking to a pastor some years ago in his 70s. And he he was telling me the story. I was in New Zealand preaching at a conference. And we're sitting having breakfast. 
And he shared the story about him being an orphan. This guy speaks all around the world. He was, he's passed away now. And he said, Mark, I used to be, I was given away as a child and I was placed in an orphanage. And he said, when I was placed in the orphanage, I didn't realize at the time that my mother put on there never to be released until the age 17. I don't know why she did it to this day. He says, I don't know. But he says, I was placed in this orphanage. And then when I was about, say, three and four, all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door and they said, children, get ready. And all the children got ready and he got dressed and they went out and he said, and the people said, there's some people coming to meet you. And we all lined up and he said, this was the first time I did it. And he said, while they're up and they're lined up, these people come along and how are you, Johnny? How are you, Louis? How are you? How are you? And then after that day, we found out that Johnny, Peter, and Louise were no longer with us. And someone said, oh, no, they've gone to be with that beautiful family. And he said, I remember asking, how do you get that? He said, they said, you line up and they look at you and they pick you. And this beautiful old pastor, he said, next time it happened, I stood up the front and put my chest out. And when they came by, he said, I lifted a big smile. And Father, nothing happened. So about six months later, he said, I tried different. He said, I wore a different color shirt. I put the shirt on. Look, nothing happened. Next year, he said, I stood. And all of a sudden, the little thought came in. No one likes you. No one cares for you. And no one ever will pick you. And this lie was deeply enrooted in him. And in the end, he said, when they started to call out, this family's coming, he said, I dressed sloppy, stood at the back, and thought, what's the difference? No one's ever going to pick me. That lie went in at that age, that you're insignificant, you can't do anything, and no one likes you. And some of the stuff that we deal with and why we can't get an immediate change is it's deeply rooted in us. That's the first thing. The second thing is I've learned to live with it. What do I mean by that? Well, it's comfortable withdrawing. When you stood out once to do something and you got challenged about something and they said, don't do that. And you got put back and you thought, well, that's the last time I'm putting my hand up to help. All they do is correct you. And so you withdraw like Peter. You step out of the crowd and go to a little boat. You go off the main platform that you're destined for and you sit in a little six by four wooden box on the water with a fishing pole and you're relaxed there. We've been refurbishing upstairs with the new kitchen and the new lounge and, and there we had to clean out a lot of our stuff. And uh, there's a poem, I asked Sharon, there's boxes and boxes and boxes and Belinda would say, where did you get all this stuff? And, and what happened is we collected it all and poor Izzy's been shifting stuff up there too. And what happens is I just became comfortable in that space with all the boxes. I've never addressed any, I've never read any in years but they're still there but for the new to come in we've got to get rid of the old out of the way and some of that stuff has been with you for a long time some of the stuff in my life is still there and I didn't realize after I got married my wife I, I didn't realize she was thinking two things she came from a beautiful Christian family was it a Methodist? Methia, I always get it wrong called it uniting or something I'm an ex-copper 
Worked in Singapore, Hong Kong, Thailand, Philippines, worked through all those Asian ports, narcotics, did all that. Seeing the world, many things before that. And so we get married. I'm a strong authoritarian. And she said these two things, Lord, I think I've made the wrong decision. Number two, yeah, number two, Lord, if this doesn't change, what do I do? I didn't realize because of my attitude and my posture, but it all came out of deep-rooted stuff in my life that was there for years. The third thing I realized why change can take some time is Satan doesn't want you to break free and become the real you. Romans chapter 7, Paul the Apostle is speaking about this, and he's talking about the, the, the challenge between the flesh and the spirit. He said, there's some things I know I should be doing, but I do the opposite, and there's this tension. So there's some of the things and reasons why change can be challenging. To address this issue, just for these remaining moments, we're going to drop in on a letter written by the Apostle Paul over 2,000 years ago to a church at Ephesus. It's a new church. They've been Christians for a while. But he's coming to talk about hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. And he's coming to encourage them through this letter. But not just to encourage them. He's coming to give them skills and insights and keys how they can break free from these hurts, these habits, and these hang-ups. Let's drop in on this letter. Ephesians chapter 4, in the Lord's name, I tell you this, stop continuing living like those who do not believe. Their thoughts are worth nothing. They do not understand and they know nothing because they refuse to listen. So they cannot have the life that God lives. They have lost all the feeling of shame. They use their lives for doing evil. They continually want to do all kinds of evil. But what you have learned in Christ was not like this. I know that you heard about him and you are in him. So you were taught the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught to leave your old self, to stop living the evil way you lived before. That old self becomes worse because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. But you were taught to be made new, say new, in the attitude of your mind to become a new person. That new person is made to be like God, made to be truly good and holy. So you must stop telling lies. He's writing to a church. Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other in the same body. And when you are angry, do not sin and be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Those who are stealing, this is the church, don't be angry. Stop doing this. Stop stealing. Must stop stealing and start working. They should earn an honest living for themselves. Then they will have something to share with those who are poor. And when you talk, do not say harmful things about each other, but say what people need. Words that will help others become stronger than what you say will do good to those who listen to you. And do not make the Holy Spirit sad or be grieved. The Spirit is God's proof that you belong to Him. God gave you the Spirit to show that God will make you free when the final day comes. So don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't be mad. 
Never shout angrily or say things, other things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to one another and forgive each other just as God forgave you. Can you imagine getting that, Andrew, this letter from me this week? Andrew, read all that. Yeah, that's what happened. Okay, he, in there he gives us six quick keys. Have a look at this. Number one, real change always starts with your thoughts. Say real change begins with my thoughts. Every change about your life will start and finish and be one in the mind. Ephesians 4.23 says, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. The Amplified says, continually being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Every change will start first of all in your mind. My wife has this little saying, we might be looking at a healthy eating program, Josh, or a healthy exercise program, and I'll say to her, honey, are you ready next week to start walking? And she'll use this phrase, it hasn't kicked in yet. It hasn't kicked in yet. What's kicked in? What she means is this, it hasn't kicked in my mind yet. It hasn't locked on. It's, it's a good thought. It's a good discussion. Uh, we can talk about it for months. We can even review all great walking tracks. But to get up and actually do it, no, it hasn't kicked in yet. She's got to win it in the mind before she wins it out there in the community walking around the streets. And this is what the Apostle Paul was saying. If you're going to start changing, number one, it starts with your thinking. This is where it happens. It hasn't kicked in. And it's the same with the enemy. If he can get you with your thoughts, that's what he did to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? He questioned and put doubt to put it in her mind. He knew if he could plant the seed in her mind, he's got her. And it all starts with our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the values and opinions of this world, don't conform instead. Let God transform you by teaching you the right and true way to think. To be transformed means change from one shape to another. And it starts with the way you think. We all grow up and there's common thoughts of, I'm not good enough. When my father told me, don't touch those things because every time you do something when I was a little boy, you always muck it up. The thought went into my mind. Mark, don't you ever touch or try or attempt to do anything because it will lead to failure. That little thought. Some women have that thought, I'm ugly. I'm not like the woman in the magazine. I'll never be accepted. I'll never get married. A thought will come in. A lie will come in. And as long as you hold to that lie, you can't break out into change. And so it starts with right thinking. Well, thinking about what, Pastor Mark, do I get this positive thoughts or positive thinking? No, the Apostle Paul tells us. And also John tells us in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, say the truth, 
When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So the first thing is it starts with our thinking. This is where the battle is, and we have to challenge our thinking with the truth. Number two, real change requires learning the truth. To combat the lie, I must bring the truth to it. Did you know the night before Jesus went to the cross to die, he's praying in John chapter 17, that high priestly prayer, and he uses these words. And he said to his father, Father, use the truth to make them complete or whole or healed. Your word is truth. And my word, the Bible, is my truth. This is what he was saying. And I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, you need to be not just reading the word, you need to be soaking in the word because it's the word from your father to you to combat every type of lie that the enemy says. A lie like, I'm ugly, no one loves me. In the Bible, Proverbs 31, I say this to every, if there's someone here with that lie. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. When you're walking around and thinking, I'm ugly, no one loves me, I'm the wrong shape, I'm the wrong everything, all of that. When you read the Word and read that, that truth challenges that lie. You know, when I was reflecting over this message and when I went to church after the youth camp, I met Michelle at the youth camp and she was playing on the instruments. But one of the most attractive things about my wife that caused me to, to draw to her, that I, this attraction, I mean, I love her, the way she looks, everything. But the great attraction that brought me to her was her love for Jesus. When I saw her up on the stage and like Michael the archangel with the brass cornet and trumpet and playing majesty, I thought I'd gone to heaven. And I, I loved it. I did. You know, I said, oh, and she's, and I go, oh, Lord. I actually thought this. I actually thought this. Man, you've heard me say this, Josh. Man, if she can blow a trumpet, how can she kiss? Wow. I thought that. <laughs> Here, here, sweetheart, blow a tune through this. <laughs> Peter just said, TMI, too much information. But I say that in all honesty. What attracted to me was the God factor. I just, the, the way she honored God and worshiped God, and she spoke about Jesus because the Holy Spirit there. And so for, for every young woman here, and I just say young woman today, if that lie is in you, it's a lie, and we break that right now. But you don't need a magazine to tell you it's a lie. You don't need the neighbor to tell you a lie. You need God's Word to tell you because He's the one who shaped you, made you, created you, and framed you the way you are. It says in Psalm 139, For you were formed by my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is God. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And you meditate on that. God, you shaped me the way I am. You made me the way I am. Frame me. Another lie might be, I can't do anything. I'm useless. Philippians chapter 4, 13, the truth says, I can do all things with the help of Jesus who gives me all the strength I need. This is not just someone saying that this is my heavenly father. There was a time Chloe came home from high school 
And something had happened and really disturbed her and challenged her with her identity, challenged her with her self-worth and challenged her with her just everything there, her confidence. And I remember she's sitting down and uh, she's been a, a grade A student all the way through studies and I'd be overseas and all that. And she's studying, she's doing well. But when this happened, I thought this is out of the normal. And I said, tell me what happened. She said, this happened, this happened. This person then said this, a person in authority. I said, sit down. What? Sit down. That man might have said that, but I'm telling you as your father. I'm telling you as your father, that is not true. If it was, I would agree with him and we would deal with it. But I'm telling you, that's not true. As your father, I'm giving you this. As your father, I'm telling you. As your father, you are a gifted young woman. As your father, I'm telling you, God shaped you and made you the way you are. As your father, I know that you can do great things. As your father... I still text her and speak into her life like a father. But more than that, we have our earthly father. And that's why I encourage you, open the Bible not as a ritual. Not a, it's, it's a love letter from your father to you. When you open up his word, you discover this father who made you, shaped you. You discover his character. You discover his heart. You discover his passion. And then you discover who you are in these words. So first of all, you've got to understand it starts with stinking thinking, but you've got to bring the truth of God's word. Read his word. Live in his word. Meditate on his word. And the apostle Paul said in this letter, he said, listen, if we spend time in the word of God, if we spend time soaking our minds with the truth, soaking our minds with the truth. If you want to soak something, you get it and a bucket of water and you don't just put it in and put it out. No, you put it in and you saturate it. You leave it there so that what's in there is fully taken up in there. And when you pull it out, this napkin is way down with the weight of everything there you brought it out with what was in there it's soaking in there and you squeeze it when pressure comes what comes out was what you took out of there the truth of God when you come here on a Sunday this is not a soaking this is just an irrigation you get a touch of the word but for you to get a breakthrough we're talking about real change you've got to understand my thoughts must be challenged my thoughts must be challenged by the truth and for me to get true change I've got to soak in his word Sit in his word. Be marinated under his word. Amen. Otherwise, James tells us, the apostle James, with a sensitive spirit, we can absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature. For the word of life has power to continually deliver us. But don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled in your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like a person who walks up to the mirror and you see yourself in the mirror. Oh, God, you're touching that. You want that change. You want that. But then James says, you see what you need to do, but then you turn and walk away and forget about it. You've missed the moment and you've deceived yourself. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty 
are fascinated. They're fixated on it. When you read that scripture, that young woman that's been worrying about her image, when you read that scripture about being framed by God in the womb, take time to meditate. See God, get pictures. See God's loving hands with your mom and he's crafting and shaping. Saturate yourself and get that truth and see it and say, God, you took time to frame me. Yes, I did. That's how change comes. The third thing we see the apostle Paul say is this. It's time to clean out the house. Say, it's time to clean out the house. I mentioned before, we've been upstairs and cleaning out all these old boxes. And and, uh, the challenge came for me. We brought all the old boxes out. And I'll be sitting there and there's Sharon. And there's Belinda. And we got these big green bins where they just dump stuff. And uh, Belinda just came straight in and she's just starting to pick boxes up and tip them out. I go, whoa, whoa. She said, what? I've got to have a look to see what's in there. She said, Pastor Mark, you haven't used this in 15 years. I said, I know, but there could be something of value there. And so she's sitting down. She went, okay. So Belinda's sitting there, Sharon's sitting there, and they put everything, everything had to pass me. And as all these boxes are being emptied, I'm putting stuff in the green bin. And then I said, good, that looks good. And Belinda said, yeah, but look behind you. I said, what? And the pile I was keeping was bigger than out there. And she said, why are you keeping that? I said, well, no, let's try again. So they put it past me again. Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff that God wants you to throw out, you've been hanging on and got used to for so long, you're going to have to be deliberate and say, God, I've got to chuck this attitude out of my life. It's been there too long. Thoughts, when confronted by the word, and he says, I want that out of your life, you've got to start to clean out the house. Mark, how about you stop being opinionated about everything? And my wife said, Amen. I remember the first time I said to my wife, I'm, oh. She just said the only time, Libby. I remember the first time I said to my wife, I'm sorry. I made a, Mark, you can say this word, mistake. It's very hard for me to say that to my wife. And uh, my wife got the phone and she's come over and she said, record. Could you say that again? I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I made a mistake. And I said, what are you recording it for? She says, it's going to be my favorite ringtone every time (laughs) when I ring. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I made a mistake. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. We're talking today about bringing lasting change where we're being changed from glory to glory, where Jesus can come in. Every one of us are challenged in our thinking. We've got to bring the thinking to the Word. Bring it to the Word and saturate yourself. Now, when God speaks, you've got to act, and you might have to chuck out some stuff. Throw it out for a refurb. Ephesians 4.22, and Paul says when he's in this letter, so get rid of your old self which made you live as you're used to. The old self that was being destroyed by its deceitful design. Stop talking like that old man. 
Stop thinking like that old man. Get rid of those old habits. Hebrews 12 once says, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially any sin that distracts us so we can run the race that lies ahead of us. My question to you this morning is this. What has been slowing you down these past years, these past months? Old habits, or put it another way, where do you want to see a breakthrough in your life? Where do you want to see a breakthrough? Or put it another way, has anyone said to you or your partner, your spouse, isn't it about time that you let that go? That particular way, that particular habit. Throw it out. It's time for a change. The Ephesians, Paul says this, no more pretense, Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. You see, this leads to the next one where I've had to find in my life. I know it's unhealthy thinking. I know I've got to go to God's word. I know I've got to sit in God's word. I've got to saturate. His truth has to come. Stuff that's been there for years, I've got to allow his truth. Then I've got to be obedient and chuck some of that stuff out. I declare, when I hop up in the morning, I say, today, Mark, for one day, you're going to talk better. You're going to build up people. You're not going to be opinionated. You're not going to be angry. You're going to go, and you've got to start to change these habits. You've got to kick them out of your life. But then the next one for lasting change, sometimes we find we can't do it ourselves, but we need community. Number four, Real change requires honest community. The Apostle Paul says this, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. So if you lie to each other, you end up lying to yourself. He says, if we're all in the body of Christ, if I lie to you, I'm really lying to myself. I love this picture here. Put this picture up here. <clears throat> you got the picture of the football players. See the guy in the middle there? Like a Collingwood player. What's happening is there, sometimes in life, it's, it's got three guys bringing that one down. Sometimes in our life, there are some things that we've been struggling with. We've been struggling to break free. Some things are just so frustrating. We're, we've tried to work on our marriage and it keeps falling and we've tried to work on relationships, but I keep struggling. We're trying to get break free with this stuff where every day I beat myself up and tell me, you're no good. You're just a waste of space. You can't do anything. No one likes me. And you're trying to get free. You're trying to break free. You're trying to get in the Word. But there's a time that comes when maybe you need someone more than just yourself. Maybe you need some community around you with they can support you to bring down that stinking giant that's been there real long lasting change can at time require honest community that's why he says no more pretense do you know I've found Pretending to be someone I'm not is hard work. Drains you. Lib, thanks, Izzy. You're pretending to be someone. 
And it's not good. It's not good for your children. It's um, come to church and they see Smiley Sam, Happy Harry, Wonderful Wilma. And you get home and you're angry aggro, grumpy Greg. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, writing to Christians, you've got to change. Why? Because you've heard the truth. You've, you've heard it. So no, no more these and no more anger, no more this. Change. I want to speak to fathers today too. Fathers, you are your greatest model mentor to your children. Don't tell your child to pray. Go in the room and let them hear you pray. Don't tell them you better, you better honor your wife when you grow up. No, let them when they come home walk in and get embarrassed because mum and dad are in the kitchen having a good let them see that you know our rule around our table at home no gossip someone's name is raised around our kitchen table I did this all the years ago in Emerald you must say three good things about that person we never gossip Never speak about other people in our house. You bring gossip into your house, watch what Hebrews says. The spirit of witchcraft attaches to it. And every ungodly thing that touches you, I, I feel the prophetic on me at the moment. I'm speaking to fathers. Watch how you speak about other people in your house because it will touch your children. That what you open and bring into your house I love the night that we had someone over for dinner. Travis is probably about 12, 13, and, and someone at the kitchen table began to talk about someone. And Travis goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. I said, what? He's got to now say three good things about that person. Well, I felt that small. And the person said, I'm sorry? What? I said, uh, so we, 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 have a, we have a rule in our home. We don't speak about anyone unless you build them up, unless you honor them. And it's something I taught my children. And what we did, the practical way to do that is, if someone's name is raised at the kitchen table, you have to compliment them three times. So we all sat there. Travis is leaning in, looking at him. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe you need some help with, Pastor Mark, it's been that long since I got in to study the Word. I need help. Well, you get community. And the Apostle Paul is saying, come on. You're, you've been trying to break this thing yourself, but it's not helping. Can I encourage you? He said, get yourself with some people and be honest. He says here, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor in truth 
what you've been struggling with and how you want help, how you need help. You might say, I'm not doing that well in my marriage, my ministry, my relationships, my social media bad habits. I've got unhealthy habits. I need help. And what we're speaking here is um, the power of a small group, a life group. And this is an area we really do need help because we need more life groups. But when you come to a life group, that's a place where you can get support, you can get encouragement, you can discuss the Word together. Now, when you come to a life group, just quickly, understand this. The rules for our church with a life group. Number one, what's said in a life group stays in a life group. Number two, we don't minimize anyone else's pain. If someone says, I'm going through this, and you go, oh, that's nothing, you wait till you hear my story. No, everyone's story is real. And everyone's story is relevant. Number three, in a life group, don't try to fix people. Listen for people and pray with people. And number four, focus on your own change, not focus on getting other people changed. And so when you come to a life group, Michelle and I recently dropped in on a life group and uh, they didn't even know we were coming. We just knocked on the door and Josie knew and we just walked in. Oh, Pastor Mark's here. Yeah. So we just came in and Michelle and I sat down. And we just said, I said to the host there, Lynn and Samang, I said, you guys, just, just run your life group as normal. And Josie, when they were talking, uh, Dale, that night. And so we just sat there. And they were just doing a Bible study and they had a time of worship. That's normal. When they got to the Bible study, they began to open up the study. Who here struggles with this particular area? Michelle and I are sitting here and straight away, hands went up right across the room, in, in, the, in the lounge room. I'm still struggling. I've been struggling for so many years. I've been struggling. How do you? And all of a sudden, this group of people, we're sitting here, just sitting here, and they're talking to one another. Come over, let's pray for you, let's help you. This community, and as a pastor, I'm sitting there going, this is powerful. This group of people coming together, praying together, helping one another. This is the church at work. And I love what the Apostle Paul says. So when you open up and share, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and loving to each other. Forgive one another just as for God forgave you. Don't use harmful words, but speak only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who are listening. If you'd like to get in a life group, put your name at the front counter. If you'd like to open up your home, we want to help you do that. We need more life groups. Number five, and we'll start to close. Number one, it starts with new thinking. Discovering the truth in His Word requires me to act and clean out house, requires honest community. Number five, there may be times you personally need a coach. And Ephesians 4.11 says, Christ gifted some of us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, so that His people would learn to serve and His body would grow strong. There are times you might not just need community, but there are times you need a personal mentor. Someone who comes alongside and you say, I, I really do need a help in this. Over the years, I've worked with guys in this church struggling in particular areas, and we come along as a coach. We come along and pray with them. We come along and stand with them. We come along and keep each other accountable. That's where you need a coach. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, have community, but at times, you might just need a mentor. Pastor Mark, how do I how do I work out who is a mentor? It's very simple. 
They are just one step ahead of you. That's all it is. One more step. Don't have to be down another mile away. Just one more step. We have people in this church here that are so gifted in the area of finance. God's graced them with how to work their finances. If you're struggling in that area. We have people with marriage. If you, want, if you need help in your marriage, put your name down at the front counter and say, Pastor Mark, can you ring us, please? My heart and passion as your pastor is this. I don't want you to still be struggling with stuff in five years' time, 10 years' time. We want to help you. That's my role as a pastor to encourage in those areas. The 12 disciples were all personally coached by Jesus. Joshua was mentored by Moses. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. Solomon was mentored by David. David was mentored by Samuel. They were all mentored. And the last thing the Apostle Paul, as the musicians come, Ephesians 3.20, real lasting change requires faith. Ephesians 3.20, now by His mighty power, say mighty, mighty power working within us. And I want to encourage you, you are not alone. His Spirit is working within you. God is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers or desires or thoughts or hopes. In the end, real change requires faith. Oh, Pastor Mark said it's my thinking. And I know I've got some old hurts and pang-ups there. I'm in the Word. Man, God is speaking to me. Oh, He wants me to stop doing that and get rid of that. He wants me to add that into my life. He wants me to adopt that into my life. And I'm going to get real. I'm going to go and make an appointment and have a lunch with someone, a close friend, and just be real and tell them I'm struggling this area. Would, would they become part of my tackle partners and bring down this, this player together, this giant that's in my life? But in the end, we can do all of that. But we have to believe and then step out in faith and do it and understand that the Holy Spirit is in me. The Holy Spirit will give me the power. Matthew 9, 29 says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. As I was finishing this word, I was reminded of the story in John's Gospel of the cripple at the pool of Bethesda. And I said, Lord, what are you doing here? I'm trying to wrap up my message. And he takes me to this passage of Scripture. Jesus comes to this place, colonnade, and it's got a pool of water. And at this particular time, the water would stir and You'd hear people would jump in and get a miracle, their moment to get in. But you've got a cripple there on a mat. And uh, been there 38 years, I think it was. And always struggled to get in when the movement was happening. And so Jesus is there one day, stirring the pool. And then he notices the cripple. And he walks over. 
There's a guy on a mat. Legs are bound up. We've been to India. We've seen the cripples by the side of the road. And tragically, parents break their children's legs and cripple them because it's a form of income. So their kids can no longer walk, but they can push their crippled kids out there. And it's a way of getting arms because mum can't work. She would rather that than do something else. In the sense that I'm saying this, we don't judge them, but this is what can take place. She may be making that decision for whatever reason, but that does take place over there with agencies we work with. So Jesus is there, and I want you to focus on this because it's a, he's actually speaking to you today. If you can imagine, we're all at the pool of Bethesda. And he comes up, he sees the mat, he sees the cripple. Now, if I was Jesus, one on one, make two. It's very simple. Reach out your hand. Up you come. But he comes up to this guy. Looks at him. Everyone knows him. And he's, he, this is what he says. What do you want me to do? I mean, if I was standing beside Jesus, I was going, duh, I'm not even a prophet and I know what the answer to that is. Let's rephrase that. What do you want me to do? Not them. They think you need to get healed. Not, not her. She thinks it's about time. Are you going? No, 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 no. What do you? This is your moment. What do you right now want me to do? I'm sitting there trying to close this message, and I said, Lord, what are you doing? Fawcett's commentary says this. Jesus asked that question because he knew two things. If the man right there at that moment, sitting there, the moment Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do? Straight away going through that man's mind is, if I say, be healed, it's not just this moment that will change in my life. It will be my tomorrow. I have to get a job. It will be number three. I will no longer have my faithful little mat that I'm so comfortable sitting on with my identity. And my whole identity will change tomorrow. I'll have to work on the new me. It's not just a moment, but it's going to change my life from today. I'm going to be expected to stand up tomorrow and walk different, talk different, engage with the world. This is a moment where God is saying to me, what do you want me to do? Here it is. It's your choice. Do you really want to change? Because if you do, I can do it. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? He said, Mark, I want you to challenge your people. Challenge them up against complacency. Let them see reality. Let them for a moment think with integrity. 
do I really want to change for my children? Or do I want to keep walking just in my world? Do I want to change because I know it will require change tomorrow? And while every head is bowed, can we just come to this close of the meeting right now? While every head is bowed, I asked you that question right now. Do you want to change? If God's speaking to you about real change right now, just while every head is bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to be bold and brave and just put your hand up and acknowledge it and say, Pastor Mark, I want to change. God's been speaking to me about areas in my life. Just put your hands up right now. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands up. and Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands up across the auditorium and just say, thank you. 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 Let's stand this morning. Let's stand because this is where it gets real. We can hear a message and walk out and say, oh, that was good. Or we can hear a message and say, I need to change. I want to do some stuff in my life. Now, can I encourage can I encourage those people that put their hand up? This is a big thing and a bold thing for you, but I, I want to pray with you this morning and I want to encourage you. So have courage. Stepping out will be the first step like that crippled person. Getting up and stepping out and walking out and saying, yes, I want to do it. Would you come to the front this morning? If you put your hand up, I want to pray with you this morning. Come on. This is your house. This is a home. Don't be ashamed. If you put your hand up, you come. You come. We're family. We're family. We're family. This is God doing His work. This is God doing His work. You come. If you see someone out the front, James and Jim, if you see someone out the front, come and stand with them. Come and pray with them. Come, come, come. God's doing something fresh this morning. God's doing something in the house this morning. We're talking about change. Real change. Real change. Your Holy Spirit, just begin to worship Him. Worship Him. first time today and you may not oh Pastor Mark that's good but I'm actually not a Christian I'm not even walking with Jesus well this is your day I sat in a meeting hung over from drinking all night before and I made one of the greatest decisions of my life asking Jesus to come into my life set me free 
I slept for the first time, like an amazing sleep, I had a peace. And while every head is bowed here, just I just want to do this. This is for two types of people. This is if you've never accepted Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, become a Christian. Or if there was a time you were, but you're away from him and you've come back, you want to rededicate your life today. Before I pray for the people, I want to ask right now, if that's you, I want to pray for you. If that's you, just quick, put your hand up and say, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? I want to become a Christian. Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? If that's you, I want to rededicate my life. Amen, 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 amen. Well, church, we're going to pray a prayer of repentance, as I've done in every part of this series. One of the greatest gifts that God gave us. Would you pray with this prayer with me right now? Father, Father please forgive me. For holding on to old past hurts, old hang-ups, old habits. Forgive me for not honouring you. Forgive me for not honouring your word. By not spending time in your word. I declare today, like the cripple, when approached by Jesus, I want to walk again. I want to be healed. I want to be changed. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me. Thank you for helping me break free and start this journey of freedom. Amen. Amen. I'm going to come and pray for these people, but before I do, I'm going to declare a blessing over the church, which came out of our series on declarations. And I speak over you right now. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. May His favour be upon you and a thousand of your generations, on your family and your children and their children and their children. The Lord bless you. Amen. Well, I'm going to move into prayer. If you want to go and have a coffee, you can. But God bless you, church. I want to pray for these people now. Oh
you